0: Well, hey, it's good to be with y'all. Can I, Daniel, can I snag one of these? Is this cool? The table's good? All right. Reuben, I apologize. am just going to start moving stuff around here. Didn't they do a great job, Reuben and his team? Give them a hand. Yeah, that was, that was really good. I, you know, I, I see some familiar faces and I see a bunch of new faces too. I've actually preached here a couple times and... It's been a couple of years. Kim was asking me, when was the last time you preached here? And I said, I, Steve, the, you guys had an interim pastor, Steve. And he was just wrapping up his time. So it was right before Scotty came. And um, man, I remember, I remember being here. And, and part of the prayer and the hope was that, was that God would bring families and younger people. And I come today and there's like kids all over the place. And, young fam- and this is so cool. So praise God, He's good. Yeah, give Him a hand. So good, and such a such a great time of worship this morning. That song, that last song we sang, yes and amen. I don't know if it's called that actually, but um, perfect, perfect. Leading into to what we're gonna do this morning, because we're gonna actually talk about a song. So I'm I'm a non musical person. Just just up front, Daniel and I were actually talking about this right before church. I'm not a I'm not a poet, I'm not an artist, I'm not a singer. Uh, so I'm really grateful for music. I love music because music expresses something that I don't always express very well myself and certainly with my own voice. But you know how there's songs that sort of uh, capture something that you're thinking or feeling and, and, and maybe you don't have the talent to sing it or, or say it or express it, but the song does it for you? That's why I love music. When I, I fell in love with, with Catherine... Uh, she 's the woman who eventually became my wife uh, before we were married and, and I was falling in love with her. There were songs that that captured my my affection for her so before we were married, um, we had dated in high school or we high school sweethearts, and then we had uh, broken up uh, in the summer after our uh, freshman year of college it wasn 't going very well in our relationship and I was just crushed when she, she broke up with me. And so the way that I thought I could get her back was to play a song for her. That was my whole, like, strategy. So she was a counselor at a camp, and I went over to the camp where she was working with, with kids. And I said, um, I remember we were sitting in, in my car, and I said, I really want you back. And she's like, No. And I was like, but I have a song for you. (laughs) Maybe that'll, you know, do it. And so I played the song. Uh, This is going to age me a little bit. The song was I'm going to be by the Proclaimers. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. A couple of you. I'm going to be. I played the song I'm going to be. And so we're sitting in my car and uh, probably listening to it on a CD at that time. And... um, and, and the, the lyrics of the song, I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked a thousand miles to fall down at your door. And the song's playing and I'm, I'm just... Please expressing my love through this song and my affection through this song. And uh, so I'm looking at her when the song ends with, with longing eyes, you know. And she, she looks at me and she goes, what? <laughs> so even though it didn't work on my wife at that time, the song expressed something that I really wanted to say to her. That's what the psalms do for us. That's what the songs that we find in that that book right in the middle of the Bible, that's what they do for us. They express something that we want to say sometimes to God or sometimes to other people or sometimes to ourselves. And today we're looking at a psalm, part of a psalm, and it's very important for us to look at today. I think it's timely because it's a song that has to do with our wills. Like the choices we make and the decisions we make, it's a song of the will. We're living in a in a time in a culture where we're constantly connected. We're never—it seems like we're never disconnected, right? With our phones and our devices and and everything else, we're we're always sort of plugged in. And what happens is 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 we're actually because we're we're more connected. I, I think, and I think you'd find that experts out there would agree with this. We're, we're actually more anxious than we've ever been. We're more worried than we've ever been. We're more stressed out than we've ever been. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that, that we've basically given our wills over to, to the messages that we're bombarded with all the time. The memes and the TikToks and Instagram and our news feeds and on and on and on. It's a constant stream of news and a lot of it stresses us out. So what do we do with our wills? What do we choose in in that moment? That's really what this psalm, I think, helps us with. I think a key way forward for followers of Jesus is is to actually make choices, to make decisions that will lead us to gladness and hope in God. The big idea of the psalm that we're going to look at today is that we have the power to choose gladness and hope in God. I'll say that again if you're taking notes. We have the power to choose gladness and hope in God. That's what David does, what he sings for us in Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. We're just going to look at the first two verses. So let's look at that. If you've got a Bible, turn there, please. and. Uh, if it's on your phone. That's that's fine. Even though everything I just said maybe makes you feel guilty for looking at your phone, um, don't. If that's where your Bible is, go ahead and look at it. I'm going to read this from the from the NIV. I don't know what what Scotty reads from these days, but um, this is the NIV. David says, "I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds." I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. We have the power to kind of follow David's lead and choose gladness and hope in God. It's actually four kind of individual choices that he's he's singing about here. The first choice is, is wholehearted thanks to God. Wholehearted thanks to God. Gratitude is, um, is really good therapy. Most doctors, psychiatrists would agree on that. I think, I think experts, you'd, you'd have a hard time finding an expert who would say, yeah, gratitude is, is actually you know, worthless. Don't, don't do that. Don't waste your time. It's, it's broadly accepted in our culture. It's broadly accepted across religious lines as well. Buddhists think this. Christians think this. We all understand, most of us, that, that when we're anxious or when we're... Um, dealing with negative emotions, gratitude is an antidote. Gratitude's an an antidote for uh, for lust. It's an antidote for self-pity. It's an antidote for envy. It's an attitude for resentment. Christian gratitude the kind of gratitude that, that David is, is talking about, I think actually goes beyond this. The psalmist says, he says, he'll give thanks to the Lord with all of his heart. When, when David wrote this song, he was actually under attack. He was, uh, if you know anything about David, you know that he was under attack a lot, right? It's a big part of his story. Like it seems like he had enemies all the time. Uh, before he was king when he became king people wanted to take him down people wanted to prevent him from being king he was fighting the Philistines the Amalekites I mean he had it was coming at him from all sides he was under attack a lot and and this psalm was written during one of those attacks scholars don't know which one it is in particular but if you read through the psalm you'll find out his enemies were persecuting him they were pressing in against him and so that was the context under which he wrote this song and he sang it for the first time um Yet even as his enemies are are trying to take him out, David chooses an act of the will here. He says, I will. I will, in spite of these attacks, I will stop and, and thank God. So Christian gratitude is deep thankfulness to the Lord, even in distress. Another way to say that, Thankfulness is always an option. It's always an option. Even in the most stressful situations. But it requires reflection. It requires that we, that we actually slow down enough and take note of the goodness of God all around us. That's the trick. So every time your three-year-old interrupts you when you're trying to get some work done at home and And she walks in the door. It's annoying, right? You want to pull your hair out of your head. You want to put the child down for a nap. (laughs) But what does it mean when that happens? How cool is it that your three-year-old daughter wants to be with mommy and talk to her? I have teenagers. That that doesn't last forever, (laughs) right? Gratitude. In the middle of annoyance. Or, or you're jammed up in traffic. It's 100 degrees outside. You're feeling and thinking all the things we feel and think, you know, when you're sitting in traffic. And I know that us Portlanders or what, what do we call Hillsboroughers? Hillsboroers, <laughs> You guys that live out here. Um, <laughs> we, we don't like... 100 degree heat you know we we like 65 and a little bit gloomy but but when you're sitting in traffic if you stop and you go man the sky is beautiful the blue sky is i mean what an unbelievable gift to see the sun and in five months i'm going to be sitting in the same traffic and it's going to be gray and dreary and miserable and i'm going to be wishing for this so thank you god It's pausing, it's just slowing down and recognizing the grace of God, right? And the grace of God, the grace of God shows up in the sun and in the rain. You get what I'm saying? The question is, are we going to choose to slow down? Are we going to choose to notice? Are we going to choose to be aware of it and then express from the bottom of our hearts thankfulness? Followers of Jesus understand this. They understand that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above everything. It's a choice to see that and then to express our thanks back to him. Viktor Frankl was a a Holocaust survivor and he tells a story about a woman that he saw executed in a concentration camp. The woman was, had presumably lost her home, she had lost her family, she had lost her well-being and her freedom and she was about to die. Yet Frankel noticed that the woman was cheerful and grateful instead of bitter, instead of angry, instead of being resentful. She was happy. She demonstrated gladness and it was a head scratcher. I don't think of concentration camps as places of, of joy. And yet in the middle of that, she found it. And this is what Frankel said of the woman. She, he said, the state of the prisoner's inner self was not so much the enumerated psychophysical causes as it was the result of a free decision. See if I can translate that. She wasn't happy because she just felt happy on the inside. She made a choice to be glad. She made a choice to be thankful. Even in the most horrific situation. I don't know if this woman was a Christian. It doesn't really matter because we as Christians of all people can learn from her, right? We can learn from her what this looks like. We will find ourselves, we will never find ourselves in a a situation so horrific that the choice to thank God has been stripped away from us. That's something nobody can ever take away from you. If we're willing to slow down and look for God's grace, we'll find it. Because we have received the mercies of God. We're children of mercy. And as we recognize, you know, God's provisions and his blessings, it actually gives us some material to share with other people. Every amazing thing that God does is a potential story that we can actually choose to tell. And that's the second choice that David sings about. In verse 1, he says, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? So, but I'm going to ask you some questions here. In the last week, how many of you have complained to another human being about the weather? Don't have to raise your hand. Don't have to raise your hand. Okay. I'm going to ask you some more questions. So, again, just practice not raising your hand. I don't want to call anybody out here. How many of you complained to another human being about something you saw in your newsfeed? <laughs> okay. <laughs> How many of you told somebody, here's a little more positive, you told somebody about a great meal you ate? Or you you posted a video on your story of a fun vacation you just got back from? How many of you told your spouse? That you were annoyed with a coworker. Or you told a coworker that you're annoyed with your spouse. Right? We're storytellers. We tell stories. We share our experiences. We share the stuff that's going on in our lives with people. That's, that's part of how God wired us. And behind every single one of God's provisions, there's a God's story to tell. Isn't that cool? Sometimes we think, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say to anybody about God. I don't know. Go back to that list of stuff that you're thankful for. Go back to the list of the graces that you see in your life and then just tell somebody. It's really not even that difficult to do. That's where David goes with, with this song. He, he makes the choice to tell others about all the interesting and remarkable things that God has done for him and for the people of Israel thankfulness led his heart to just gush about God to people. I get it. Now, sometimes we're, we're upset with God. Sometimes we're confused by God. Sometimes it's difficult to see God's goodness. And if you read the Psalms and you read David's writings, you'll, David was too. So he wasn't like always gushing, you know. It wasn't like that. But when we look at our God's stories, when we look at our our grace and what we've experienced from God in our lives, it, it gives us something to, to tell. It was a natural choice for David to share these stories because he'd seen God do so much in him. Now, like much of the ancient world, Israel, ancient Israel was a storytelling culture. This was, this was how they trans. Uh, transmitted their messages and their history was to tell the next generation their stories and they would rehearse their stories in the synagogue and they would, and they would, um, uh, they would pass these stories along to their children. Whenever Israel stopped rehearsing their stories, they got into trouble. They forgot God. When they, forgot to t- when they stopped telling God's stories, they, they walked away from the Lord. It, it didn't go well for them storytelling was a way for them to keep God at the center of their community, sharing those stories with their children and their grandchildren. And then, and then Jesus came along, and what did he do? He told stories, right? He told some of those same old stories from Israel's history. He told some new stories as well, and then he did something really crazy. He actually connected the story of Israel to himself, and he said, the promised Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, is me. I'm here. He's telling the story. And then what did he do? This is the part that freaks us out. He looked at his disciples. He said, now you guys go tell the story. Right? Go go out in pairs and tell people the story that the kingdom has come near that the Messiah is here. He said, cast out demons, forgive, heal, and tell the story that the kingdom of God is at hand. We're a storytelling tradition. That's, That's our roots. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is... That is who we are. We're storytellers. And I think this gets lost in discipleship so often because we, we rarely challenge each other or encourage each other or push each other. We even rarely uh, ask the people, maybe if you're discipling somebody or you're teaching a Sunday school class or a small group, we rarely ask people to go tell their story. Like that feels like maybe like master's level Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, I'm just, I'm an undergrad. I'll maybe tell my story when I'm a little bit, you know, further along. Telling our stories of what God has done in our lives is is who we are. I'm, I'm familiar with one discipleship model. As soon as a person starts following Jesus, they get into a group, get into a small group. And in the small group, they read the Bible together. And then they ask some basic questions. You know, what, the, what does it say about God? What does it say about humanity? What does it say about us? What is God saying to you? And then, who are you going to go tell? Who are you going to go share? What it is that God is saying to you, who are you going to go share that with? It's just part of their thing. And then the next week when they get together in their group, they ask them, like, how'd that go? Who'd you share it with? What was that like? It's part of the, the rhythm of being a disciple of Jesus, to be a, a storyteller. And here's the thing. Somebody else to, needs to hear your God stories. Somebody in your life, somebody that God brings into your path needs to hear it. They need to hear that, that Jesus has given you a job. They need to hear that Jesus brought your kid back. They need to hear that you got healed of cancer. They need to hear that even when you feel totally unwanted and you feel the worst and the ugliest, they need to hear that even at that moment, God wants you and you've experienced that. That's what people need to hear. They need to hear your God stories. Because when I choose to tell my God story, it gives the Holy Spirit the opportunity to use it in somebody else's life. That's why we tell our stories. Your story may be the thing that puts God back on the radar for somebody. Your story may be the thing that comforts somebody in their deepest and darkest hour of depression. Your story may make somebody decide to, to God another chance. Maybe somebody who's walked away from the church. So the choices in, in verse 1... These choices are about expressing ourselves. We're, we're making decisions. David says, I will, I will give thanks. I'll express my thanks. I will express my story. I will tell the stories of what God has done in my life and in Israel. That's the first two, the first two, you know, choices. Now the choices in, in verse two are a little different because they actually reflect more of inward decisions that we make about, about where, uh, where our affections are. And choosing our, to, to express our affections to God. So look at the verse 2 there. The third choice that David makes. He says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will be glad and rejoice in you. David found his supreme happiness in knowing God. David had a lot. So David, I, I said earlier, David had a lot of, he was always at, you know, at war, there was always distress in his life, but he also had a lot of stuff we'd probably look at and be a little bit jealous of, just, just to be honest. You know, he had power. He had influence. He had money. He had women. He had many of the things that, that we look at and we go, wow, this guy's, hes made it. He's arrived. And yet I think one of the things that makes David so relatable... Is that there were times in his life that those things actually drew him away from God. We can all relate to that. We can all relate to to things that have pulled us away from God that we've tried to fill ourselves up with. And because David was a real guy who made real mistakes, he knew the difference between worldly pleasure and godly pleasure. And at the end of the day, he wanted God most. That was the conclusion he came to. And that's what he's saying in verse 2. I will be glad and rejoice in you. John Piper wrote these words. He said, "If, If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. I I love this quote. I think what Piper is saying is that people who are hungry for God have tasted the satisfaction that only God can bring and nothing can replace him. People who aren't hungry for God have little desire for him. And and I think the reason is, and the the reason Piper is saying that is, is because they've they've filled themselves with all these other pleasures. So the Christian life is a love story. It's It's a story of a relationship between God and 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 his people. It's a journey of desire and longing and intimacy. Pleasure is found in God's love. Joy is found in surrender to his will like two lovers who want nothing more than to be together, right? This is us and God. This is, this is the journey. The, the two lovers who will sacrifice, you know, their own desires so that they can have a life together. That's what David is singing about in Psalms 9 too. And guys, it's, it's really, I think, this isn't rocket science, what i'm about to say. In fact, none of it is, but this definitely isn't. Our our love hunger for God is diminished when we stuff ourselves with Netflix, hiking, sex, marriage, children, Spoiling our grandchildren, golf, great food, whiskey, wine, cooking, work, cars, bikes, football, CrossFit, buying clothes, the trailblazers, the timbers, the hops, feeding the homeless, preaching sermons, Instagram, YouTube, you fill in the blank. When we stuff ourselves with this stuff, our hunger for God is just, just goes away. I love a lot of the things on that list that I just read. The problem is when I fill myself on these things, there's, there's actually there's no room for God anymore. The fact is all those good things are, are pathetic replacements for him. And so I, I have a, an analogy, and I, I think this, this might be a lousy analogy, but I'm going to go with it. I really like Mexican food. I like going to Mexican restaurants, and one of my favorite parts of the Mexican restaurant is when they before you you know you order your entree and then they bring you the chips and salsa. It's like, let's go. Right? So you get the chips and salsa, you get the first tray, and it I it usually disappears pretty fast when I'm sitting at the table. I'll just I'll just say it that way. And then the server comes back and she's like, Would you like another? And you're like Yeah. So they bring you another, you know, new, like, tray of chips and salsa. And they come back, and when that one's gone, and they're like, would you like another? And you're like, well, I mean, I, I don't want to be a pig, but yes. <laughs> and after your fourth tray of chips and your fourth bowl of salsa, chimichangas sound disgusting. <laughs> right? You're like, "Uh." You look at, you know, the people you're with. You're like, should, "Should we just leave?" You know, I'm I'm not sure about going any further here today. We choose what we fill ourselves with. We choose what will make us glad. If God is to be our source of happiness, if he's, supposed, if he's to be the, the ultimate thing that brings us gladness and satisfaction in our lives, if he is to be that, if he's gonna be the main entree, then we must nurture our appetite for him. We must make the decision not to fill ourselves with certain things so that there's room and desire and hunger. I shared yesterday with my 18-year-old son, that when i start my mornings slowly i get up a little earlier than i want to get up and i go and i make myself a cup of coffee and i don't have to rush and i can go out on and on my back porch and right now by the way you guys one of the great gifts is like 6:30 in the morning feels so nice outside right now it's so nice I mean, I go out there and I sit on my back porch and I ah, sip my coffee and I give my anxieties of the day to the Lord. Maybe I'll have a journal there. I'm, up, I'm like, nope, that's yours. I'm casting this one on you, casting this one on you, giving this one to you. Until I'm finally at that place where I'm still. And I can just be still and know that he's God and then i can you know take my journal and write down what i'm hearing and express thanks confess sin maybe read some scripture i told my son the other day i said that's like the it's the most satisfying thing that i do i said sitting here with you and talking to you about it is pretty cool too but but this is the best part of my day i can also tell you that That's the easiest part of the day to skip for me. It's the easiest thing to push snooze and then to wake up. Maybe push snooze a second time, be honest. And then like grab the phone again and like, okay, Wordle. Anybody on Wordle? Yeah. Okay, did Wordle. Let's see what's going on in the world. Um, Check my messages, you know. And then... Be full. It's easy. It's really easy to do. In a different song, David wrote, he said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. As we walk in fellowship with him, as we taste him, as we allow Jesus to fill us, we actually join in the chorus with David and all those who adore God. And this is the last one. I will sing praises. I will sing God's praises. I, I, I love that, that, that last song that we, we sang, uh, the yes and amen, the house fire song. I will sing. I will rest. It's like we were, we were doing it. We were practicing. We're just, just what David's talking about, we actually did it about, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes ago, right? That's what we were doing. We were singing. And, and, and songs, you guys, they're powerful. It's how lovers express their feelings for one another. Senators don't sing to each other. Have you guys, you ever, you ever think about that? Like they don't. You don't like go to Target and check out and the cashier sings to you. That would be weird. And it would be inappropriate. It's how lovers talk to each other. It's how lovers communicate through songs. And David, who's deeply in love with the Lord, he's, he's tried worldly pleasure. In fact, it's derailed him multiple times. And he's, he's tasted and experienced the goodness of God and just, he sings because he's in love with the Lord. Deep affection. That's who gets our song, the, the, the one who's worthy of our affection. You may sing a song to a child. I remember when my, my kids were born, I, my first, my daughter was born, and I remember I wrote the s- lamest song for her. You know, it's terrible. And like trying to sing, I love her. All I can do is sing. It's, it's an expression of affection for those we care most about. We also know that singing is really good therapy, right? I read an article this week, just sidebar, Healthline. It says this, singing can, this is really good. You can, you'll find the article. You're going to Google it. You'll find it. It's like right at the top of Google. But like singing can relieve stress, stimulate immune response, increase your pain threshold, improve lung function, help with grief, grief, and even improve snoring. How about that? (laughs) I'll add one more to the list. Singing praise to God gives us confidence that God delivers. So the worship leader in the church has a really important job. The worship leader picks songs that express who God is and what he has done so that the people can connect with each other and connect with God from their hearts. They can connect with their source of hope. One friend of mine says that the job of the worship pastor or the worship director is to take the hand of the people and the hand of God and to bring those two together. That's the worship director's privilege and and joy, to bring the two together. Good praise songs, they don't revolve around, they don't pretend to, you know, solve all of our problems. It's not like happy, fake, phony Unreal happiness rather what they do is they gather us around the care and the character of God They remind us that God delivers that he can and that he does all your promises are yes and amen And so we sing and I think we're gonna do that right now so I'm gonna invite the band up and and as they come up I Just want to say that when we look at these choices that David sang about and when we think about our own choices and the decisions that we have to make, it, it reminds me of Jesus, you know? Jesus embodied these decisions. What David sung about, Jesus actually did. And, and so as we, as we consider what, what it is the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning, what I want to invite you to do is just to close your eyes. And I want you to see David singing and then envision Jesus joining in David's song. We talked about four choices that David sang about. The choice to give thanks. The choice to tell people the stories of what God had done. The choice to find his gladness in God and the choice to sing. Lord God, these four choices are are before us today. These choices are for all of us, God. We every single one of us can weave these into the fabric of our lives and our weeks ahead. So Holy Spirit, right now, I just, I just want to invite you to maybe put your finger on one that you want us to work on, or that you want me to work on. God, I don't know. Uh, this isn't my church. It's part of my church family, but it's this isn't my church, and I don't know the stories. I don't know what's happening. In people's lives. But Lord, I believe that you're inviting us to choose and to make choices that will lead us to a place where we find gladness and hope in you. And Lord, for the people in this room today who come in keenly and desperately aware that they need that, I ask you, God. Power them now to make decisions, to make choices that we receive, see reflected in David and in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for your word to us. Thank you, God, that you give us songs to express stuff that sometimes it's hard for us to put into words. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.